You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Uh, my name is Cole Rhodes. I'm our college pastor. Uh, Brandon has given me the, the honor of being able to preach to you this morning. Um, hey, it's a, it's a safe place by a raise of hands. Anybody a little sleepy this morning? Yeah, you can raise your hands. Don't lie. I got, I'm usually pretty fired up to preach. I don't, I don't know. Hopefully none of you were looking over at there. Hopefully you were worshiping, but I, I just grabbed a quick swig of coffee before I came up here this morning, uh, because there's just a, a little bit less natural energy that, that we all have. Um, I was, I was thinking because of maybe how sleepy all of us are this morning that we could maybe ask a few icebreaker questions. And so in that though, when, when you talk about certain things, some people may not be as interested as others. And so, you know, we could, we could talk about your, your favorite fitness regimen, right? We, I could say, hey, for two or three minutes, I'll talk about your favorite fitness regimen. And we have that, that person in the room that, that always loves to talk about CrossFit or whatever is Jack in this room right now. I don't know if he's in this room right now. Uh, but, but some of you may be in the room, like you're like, I don't, I don't really know how that's going to really set the trajectory for your sermon, Cole, I, I, I believe I'm going to wait for my glorified body to have abs. And so I don't think I want to want to talk about fitness regimen. We could, um, my brother-in-law sent me this funny meme this morning that sewed this up on the screen. We could talk about gas prices right now. Um, this is a lot of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I don't know if y'all have seen the, the empty gas tank indicator a little bit more lately. I know I haven't been kind of riding it to right where I have to fill up just a little bit because I'm just hesitant to pay those gas prices. But some people in the room, maybe you don't have to pay for, for gas yet or you don't have a car. And so that may be a little bit irrelevant for you. We could, some of you like to bake, some of you like to cook in here. I could say, hey, two to three minutes, y'all, y'all talk about your, your favorite thing to cook or bake. And some of you guys, you got your, you got your Traeger grills. Some of you girls, you have those, those awesome, and women, those awesome people you follow on Instagram or whatever, get really inspired. But some of you in the room are like me and like, I, I can, I can kind of cook eggs and, and, and make toast and, and that's really about it. And so that wouldn't interest you. The reason I'm going this direction is that the things that we like to talk about, the things that we, we think are, are relevant, are relevant because we think that talking about them or doing them or involving them in our life is actually going to make a difference in our life. The thing that we spend the most time thinking about, the, all of the things that fill our mind's attention and our heart's affection are doing that very thing because we feel like this would be a difference maker. And I can speak for myself, I know as a 30-year-old millennial, as we're going to talk, be talking about the second coming of Christ, I have to be honest, this is not a topic that I'm actively thinking, ooh, to really think actively about Christ's return and all that that means is really going to make a difference now and even in, in the future. I, I can think of it as a chronological event in the future, if you're tracking with me, but not so much of what does it have to do right now, what might it speak to me in this common day. And so if you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, we're going to pick up there into chapter 3, verse 3. And this is the question that we're going to be trying to answer this morning. How does the second coming of Jesus make a difference in my life now and in the future? How does it make a difference? Why would it be worth talking about? Why would it be something where everyone would want to lean in and learn from what John is going to be speaking to us this morning? So starting in verse 28, it says this. And now, little children, abide in me, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence 
and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so how does the second coming of Jesus make a difference in my life now and in the future? I I believe the first thing I want us to see from this passage is that the second coming of Jesus inspires us to become like him. The second coming of Jesus is actually an inspiration to us. It serves as something that we can be looking at that affects the right now. Um, I I, I see this in in verse 28, and I don't know if you found this, um, there's this idea of that when Jesus comes back, we, we don't want to be shrinking away in, in shame of maybe how we lived our life, how we spent our time, but rather we would want to have an, an honor and excitement to be in his presence, to sort, sort of be in a posture of readiness for when he comes. But I believe to understand all of what that means and to unpack all of how to actually be in that place, we're going to need to define and understand the following terms in these first group of three verses from verse 28 to chapter three, verse one. And, and that is the concept of abiding, the concept of shame, of righteousness, and being children of God. So abiding, shame, righteousness, and children of God is so key to understanding this text. And so when we talk about abiding, we can sometimes make this a mysterious concept. Oh, I'm abiding in Christ. Well, what does it mean? Well, I don't know, but I'm trying to do it. <laughs> abiding in Christ is simply to remain with him to make your home and your dwelling place with Jesus, to stay with him, to be faithful, to be close to him in every single season, every single day of your life. And so what that looks like practically, uh, Pastor David is sort of taking this angle as well and in his sermon this morning, is we can abide in Jesus through his word. We can say that all of, all of God's scripture, the Bibles that we have is that this is all true. We can hold to it. We can let it have its proper place and day in our life. We can turn down the volume, other, other voices and turn up his volume and allow him to guide us and inform us and, and even how to have a relationship with him. Some of us need to abide and we all need to abide in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single day, we need to be reminded of his love for us. And what better way to do that than to go straight to his word. We can also abide with him in prayer. Is it an opportunity in prayer to, to have fellowship with him, to have a relationship with him? It's an amazing thing. And whenever he comes back and we see him face to face, we're going to probably wonder why we, we didn't spend even more time as we see how beautiful and awesome he is. But until that day, we want to do our best to, to really live as if a reality of a relationship with him is a true thing today. We can also abide. I love Pastor David shared this note with me. We can abide in Jesus's church. Because the body of Christ, um, the church is called the body of Christ, that, that, that Jesus would not have us having this lone wolf kind of podcast Christianity not connected to a real body. And that's barring sickness and, and issues that would maybe keep us distant. But for the majority of us, he wants us growing together. He wants our life to look like Acts chapter 2, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship and the prayers and day by day living life together and, and growing. So he would he would have us live a lot of our lives in the context of fellowship and community with each other. 
And lastly, we could abide in his will. That whatever you do, do it all to his glory, seeking to glorify him. And so if you're, if you're an accountant, do it to his glory. If you're a teacher, do it to his, his glory. If you're a pastor, obviously do that to his glory. If you're a student, do that to his glory. If you're a nurse, if you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever it may be, fill in the blank that we would abide in his will and do it all to his glory. And so then we look at what is meant by shame. And, and Pastor David and I are in agreement on this this aspect that this isn't talking about a shame of that an unbeliever would have. In other words, this passage is not because if you see that word beloved in chapter uh, chapter three, verse two, he's beloved is a word only used for believers. And so we know that John isn't wanting people to be scared of whether or not saved. This concept of shame is really dependent upon a question. I would say it in a question. And this question is this. Did I live like those who have really been saved? Did I live like someone who really has been transformed by the power of the gospel and the grace of God? Was grace for me something that just created neutrality with God? It's like, okay, now I'm not going to hell. Or did it have its full effect in my life and transform me? That, that sort of inner righteousness that was given to me as a gift through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, did that transform my heart and mind eventually into an outer righteous living and transformation that he would have for me. And so in other words, would, would we be standing in confidence and honor before Jesus and how we abided in him, how we lived our life for him? Or would we maybe be a little bit embarrassed of how we spent our time? And then I already touched on what is meant by righteousness. And I want to just reiterate that again. And so we know that we are saved by grace through faith. Amen. That we, we don't earn our righteousness. It's really confusing in, in the church because we're like, well, why would there be this sort of striving in righteousness that that's already been given to me? And, and that's what I wanted to explain is that grace is not just meant to save us from the bad things. It is actually meant to save us to God. We are, we are now made like Christ. We're a new creation. And so we want to be marked as if that's really true. We want to see an overflow of the inner work that God started into an outer work in our everyday lives. And then lastly, why would John emphasize us being children of God? I actually love how the NIV words it in verse one of chapter three. The ESV says, see what kind of love the father has given to us. But the NIV says, see what kind of love the father has lavished upon us. Uh, isn't that awesome? Um, I, I picture everyone went to Hurricane Harbor um, or Slitterbond. They have that big, massive water bucket that fills up in the kids' play area. Adults, it's totally fine that you still like that area, okay? I do. Let's, just, let's go together. All right, and, and as it fills up with water, everyone's standing underneath it, and that bell goes ding, 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 and it, it just pours out and lavishes everyone with water, right? You're just going to get totally soaked. Up. Like, if you didn't want to get wet, do not stand underneath that bucket, right? And, and so here's, here's how the, the grace of God works and the love of God works. If, if you don't want to be loved, don't stand under the grace of God, right? Don't stand under the love of God because he is going to lavish it upon us. It's going to be poured out, but it's going to be like a bucket that never runs dry. And out of that love, friends, out of that love, here's what this means. Here's why it's inspirational. He's highlighting the love of God is so great that he didn't just say, Oh, you're like a stepchild to me. I'll deal with you out of obligation. No, he said, I'm adopting you. You're not just some strange citizen that I'm just putting up with. I'm making you my child. You were once a child of darkness. You're now a child of light. You were once dead. You're now alive. 
And the point of that is, as children of God, we rejoice in that, we're grateful, and we can best show our gratitude by living as if that's true. A lot of you know that Brandon is gone on sabbatical right now. Um, I thought about how funny it would be. Um, I, I'm not planning to do this, <laughs> but let's just say because Brandon's gone, like he, he's, my, he's my boss, I just decided I'm not doing anything while he's gone, right? I'm not doing any work. I'm not showing up to Tuesday night to preach. I may come in and just close my office door, watch Netflix, right? Catch up on some good series, order some crumble cookies and like, you know, stack up all the boxes in the month while he's gone. And uh, some of you are feeling like this is not a good idea. I hope you're going somewhere else with this. And you're right. So in the meantime, that may think like a good, good idea. I'm just going to check out while Brandon's gone. And it may have been fun. It may have been entertaining, but when Brandon gets back, what if he were to, you know, come to my office? Hey, man, how's it going? Like, what, what have you been up to? Like, what have you been doing the past month? I bet you that I would feel immediately the reality that was not a good use of my time, right? Like, I'd probably get fired too, so that's why I'm definitely not going to do that. I think I would feel a little bit of shame because I would know, like, wow, just because he was gone. It did not mean that I wasn't supposed to spend, do anything with my time. There's all these things that I could have done. And now instead of having a lot of things that I could be telling him about that, that I was doing and excited, I, I, I have nothing. And Brandon would have, have the right to say, dude, you're, you're a bum. Like, what have you been doing? Like, what, wh- why did you do this? The flip side of that is this. And I believe this is actually the true story for all of our staff. While he's gone, our calling still remains the same. Our mission still remains the same. And I think all of us are eager and excited to continue working and being faithful. And when he comes back, what are we gonna do? We're gonna catch him up. We're gonna share with him all the things that, that God has been doing. We're gonna share with him all the things that we've been up to. Because just because he's not physically here, it doesn't mean that our mission doesn't remain the same. And it's the same way with Jesus, friends. I don't know about you, but... I know I live in a perfect life. I, I know that I can't present to him enough great ways of spending my life in order to ultimately earn his approval. But I can't wait, and I hope you can't either. I, I want to be, when Jesus comes back, I want to be excited and eager to, to present my life in, in an honorable way to him, to just tell him all the things I've been up to. Y'all tracking with that? And in the same way that we wouldn't want to do nothing while our boss is gone, while Jesus isn't physically present here, we can be filling our lives in the exact way that John is, is trying to inspire us to in a way where we can present ourselves to him with confidence. Now, some of you may be thinking something that we all need to realize and that I definitely realized this week as we were studying if we're just looking at simple growing in Christ-likeness, if we're just looking at this concept of growing in Jesus and becoming more like him, we will not even come close to perfection, right? I mean, like you can try. Like if you think you're a nine out of 10 and perfection, you've just probably displayed that you're not because you have no humility, right? And so even when you're growing, you can, you can kind of mess that up. How do we avoid being discouraged by that reality, right? As we're growing in the right here, right now, fully inspired when Jesus comes back, man, I hope I can present to him a life of faithfulness, but I know I'm gonna be so far missing the mark of being totally like him. How do we stay inspired? And I'm so glad you asked because that's where we're going next. The first, the second coming of Jesus inspires us to become like him. If you could read verses two, Three with me in, in chapter three of First John. Again, 
It says beloved. Again, that's a word that's only used for Christians, for believers. It means loved by God in a special salvific way. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the second coming of Jesus does inspire us to become like him, but also this, this is really good news. It ensures that we will become like him, right? It ensures it. Do you see that? We, when we will be, so what we will be has not yet appeared. So say, hey, you are a children of God right now. Believe that, have faith in that, trust in that. But the fullness of all that that means, your perfection, your glorified, perfected bodies, you're seeing Jesus face to face, you're gonna have to wait a little bit longer. But the finish line is just around the corner. And so how, how this is, I almost just made this the one point sermon because this to me inspires me in that discouraging place where there's a gap between where I am and total Christ-likeness. Are y'all with me there? That can be a little bit discouraging. And if you ever become aware of your, your sins at times, like, oh man, like I feel like I haven't grown a bit in the past year or two years or three years. And also in just general suffering and just living in a fallen sinful world, I would ask you if you're like me, is it not a breath of fresh air to know that when we do cross the finish line, when Jesus does come back, no matter what, the victory is yours. <laughs> He's saying it's sure. You're gonna become like me. It's, it's when, when Paul writes to the churches that, that he's going, that Christ is gonna finish the work that he started. You're not ultimately on your own in this effort. And that's not only with just our being totally sinless, that's also Christ ushering in a world with no more suffering or hardship. Hey, raise, raise of hands in here. Anyone right now are in the past play any high school sports? High school, middle school sports. Hey, cool. I, I, um, I used to have a lot of pride um, in, in like specific football accomplishments. And one of my um, seasons that I had was my senior year. It was a total contrast between my first couple of years. Uh, we, we went to the playoffs my sophomore and junior year. But my senior year in, in football, and we were, um, this is in Sweetwater, the Sweetwater Mustangs. Um, we, we almost had an entirely losing season. We went one in nine on the season, all right? And so the thing about that, I don't know if any of you have ever been on a losing team, but um, when you get to those last couple of games and there's no hope of playoffs and like you're, you're pretty certain like you're, you're gonna lose. Um, we, we, we got to our last game of the regular season. It was against Abilene Wiley, who that year would go on to play in the state championship game. This was fall 2009. Some of you are like, wow, he's really young. But anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> Talking about his life like he knows things. He's only 30. Um, anyway, so we get to this game and, and it's such a joke to us. Like we know there's no chance we're going to win. We are running out on the field, me and one of my best buds, like laughing as we're running out on the field about to play the game. We're like, what is the point? Like this is ridiculous because all the, the only point of that game was to finish the season. It was to lose. Like there was no victory in sight. Even after that game, even if we miraculously won, the most miraculous win in the history of the universe, we still wouldn't have gone to the playoffs. It would have been pointless. You know what I think a lot of times for us, if we're not careful, we don't have Jesus's second coming in, in mind in our life right now. And if we're not careful, we can sort of live a, a one in nine season Christianity. What I mean by that is we can, if we're not careful, we can sort of walk in this constant state of defeat. 
We can sort of live as like, man, whether it's your, your battles with temptation or whatever, or just the, the amount of suffering and difficulty that you've had, we can sort of envision life as one string of losses after another. And I don't want to downplay that. But if we're living life as if there is no victory in the, in the end, if, that, if that's not actually happening, then, then we have hope today that we can find from the scripture. We can actually live in a different posture. One, one way I've, I've heard it said is that, is that some of us look like all that we've ever seen is the cross and we've never seen the empty tomb. Some of us look like we only saw Jesus die, but we didn't see him raise. So many implications for that. But what, what it would mean in this context is some of us just think, okay, I guess Jesus died for me. But we don't know all the powerful implications of the resurrection, that it's hope and life now. It's actually a victory, already not yet victory over sin now. That even in suffering now, that at the end of your day, no matter what you went through, no matter who, who died, no matter what the biopsy read, that at the end of the day, the tomb is empty. And the reason we say that is because it's a needed reality, right? Jesus knows the reality of that suffering. He needs us to remember the victory that we're ultimately going to have in him. And when he returns, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but scripture that describes it as him descending on the clouds. And we're gonna watch as he eradicates this fallen world and covers all of creation with his goodness and glory. And in case you don't know what all that means, here's a few things that means. I've already said it. No more sin. How about this? No more divorce. No more kids having to be separated over the weekend. No more, no more, no more tension. No more regret. No more shame. How about this? No more war or rumors of war or threats of war or lingering war. No more worrying about gas prices. Amen. No more death. No more funerals for newborn babies. No more killing. No more cancer, no more diabetes, no more COVID, no more need for, for graveyards. Just, just life and life abundant. Eternal life with Jesus. And so in the right here, right now, while we're waiting, the second coming does inspire us. And then it also ensures us that we will become like him. Not just in sinlessness, but in a world of no more suffering or pain. And so how does the second coming of Jesus make a difference in our life now and in the future? Our third point that I'm going to mention is not really so much a new point, but it's kind of a conclusion that I want to draw. If you have your, your notes, you're going to see this. But I'm seeing two truths here in this passage that we already covered. The first is, hey, abide in Jesus now. Grow in him now. In Christ-likeness and purity and trust and faithfulness and difficulty. And then two, hey, wherever you're lacking in that, in that, in that growth and becoming like him, Jesus is just going to finish the job, right? He's just going to bring it all to completion, that work of perfection. So we apply what we're about to talk about, those two truths, to what we're going to say next and, and really, how does the second coming of Jesus make a difference in our life? It's this, the second coming of Jesus gives us a win-win scenario. It gives us a win-win scenario. Some of you business people are like, oh, Cole, that's sweet. You don't know how they use that terminology. And you're right. I'm not using it in a business sense. I'm not using it in a negotiation sense between a win from two different parties without compromise. What I'm talking about is a 
is a win-win between two different chronological periods of time, neither of which have to compromise each other. And so what I'm talking about is win number one is sanctification. It's you're growing in Christ now. And win number two is glorification. It is becoming totally like Jesus one day. And guess what? They're a win-win because none of them have to give in or compromise one another. And, and being sanctified now and growing now, you don't have to be ignorant of Jesus' coming. The opposite is also true. You don't have to only think about Jesus coming and be totally ineffective right now. Like you do not have to watch the news channel 24-7 to figure out what's all happening to, to, to judge when the end times are coming. You don't have to do that, right? You can be active and an engaged citizen of God right now. And so what does that look like? How does that play out? Well, the first win, the right now, means that any step that you take toward Christ in obedience is going to lead to growth. Any step that you take, big or small, get your eyes, I know it's so easy to compare, oh, well, they're really smart. No, no, this is your walk with Jesus. Any step you take towards him is going to be him making you incrementally more like him. That means when you're, when you're struggling, you feel like you've dropped the baton in this race of faith, instead of just looking at it and say, oh man, I'm gonna be ashamed at the, the coming of Jesus. No, pick it back up. Step back into the win-win scenario. Like Jesus is for you becoming like him. He is for you living for him. That means in your in, in your sin struggle, some of you maybe um, have had battles with looking at certain pornographic content. Some of you maybe have battles with, with anger or, or lust or whatever it may be. Some of you have a trouble just with your tongue and, and saying things about people that would indicate that you don't believe they're created in the image of God. You, you know your struggle. We, we, can, we can name them all day. And some of you would feel defeated in that struggle. Oh, man, I guess I'm just I'm never gonna, just never gonna get better. And you, and you forfeit the victory that Christ wants you to have because you've forgotten that the win in that moment is, did you know that repentance is obedience? (laughs) Did you know that realizing you're wrong and turning to God is still a win in his eyes? Isn't that good news? Like when we we lose, when we fail, we're like, oh, I killed, I ruined it. No, 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 that's the point. See that, turn back to him and pick it back up. And your incremental growth, your win now is becoming just a little bit more like Christ, just a little bit more. Your heart is just a little bit less prone to, to love sin, a little bit more prone to love Christ. That means when you're overwhelmed, maybe with, with depression, with despair, with doubts of, of God's goodness, with like, man, I sure thought the Christian life was gonna be this, and it's this. I had high expectations of all the emotional feelings that would come with, with following Jesus, and it's just not coming naturally. That means maybe you can present to God just one ounce of faithfulness and give God your trust in that season. And, and, and maybe your win in that very season that you may be in of discouragement is Christ forming you a more robust faith that can honestly and genuinely say, God, you're good when I don't feel like it. Maybe he's forming you the, in the kind of character that Jesus displayed on the cross. You remember the night before he was saying, Father, if you can take this from me, please do it. Like Jesus was honest about the agony and suffering that he would go through on the cross. But, he's, but he said, but hey, let, let your will be done. And so, and so maybe where we can grow in Christ-likeness in seasons that are, are painful and, and hard to deal with is that when we could just say, Lord, these circumstances stink, <laughs> Like if, if, if I was 
I'm just saying, God, if I was creator of the universe, I would do it this way. But, but I'm going to trust you. God, when, when my circumstances are bad, you're still good. And, and the win there, friend, is you're forming in yourself the very heart of Jesus that he had as he was on the cross. That's the win. And so when you set your trajectory toward him, you can't lose. And then here's, here's what the second win would look like. I've already said it over and over again, but I want us to remember Jesus coming back in glory. Like we're going to get to see him face to face. Like how many of us have doubted that Jesus really is alive, that he really exists because we can't see him. Like I've been there. I understand. Like there are days you're like, why are we doing all this? But this God, this great God, he's going to be here. Isn't that amazing? Come on, I know it's, it's spring break, it's spring forward. Like if you're here today, you're probably part of the remnant, okay? All right, if you actually made it to church today. All right, let's go. That's good news. That was a joke, all right? Assurance in Christ alone. And he's gonna complete the work he started. The work of sanctification now finalized with the work of glorification later. The final victory that did not feel like a victory but wasn't defined by a feeling, but defined by a person. And his name is Jesus. Awaited for and fully and finally realized. But if you're like me, we do not often feel like that win is true. I'm talking about this win-win scenario and you're like, that sounds really great for a pep talk, but let's talk about real life. And, and I'm with you. I would say right now, if there's anyone qualified to say that they're not feeling the win-win scenario, it would be Christians in Ukraine. Can we agree with that? <laughs> that are trapped on all sides. Like, are you kidding me? Like, they couldn't get out if they tried. There's a pastor, Ukrainian pastor, that spoke recently at IF Gathering. It's a women's conference that Jenny Allen holds. And Jenny Allen just leaned in and asked him, like, man, what are, you, what are you learning through this? Which is a good question during hard times. What is God trying to teach you? And he said this very humbling statement that almost brought me to tears. He said this, God is showing him that just because Jesus is with him in the boat, that doesn't mean that they're not gonna go through the storm. Just because Jesus is with you in the boat doesn't mean you're not gonna go through the storm. In other words, just because Christ is with us doesn't mean that this war isn't going to get worse. It doesn't mean that I'm going to keep breathing. The connection for us is in, in our storm, the wind now is that Jesus is with us in the boat. And whatever happens, he's gonna use that storm for a purpose. You read the gospel accounts and how Jesus handles storms and winds and waves. We can trust him to know when to calm the storm with a word. And we can also trust him to pull us in tight for what's honestly gonna be a long night, right? Any of you there? Knowing that he brings joy in the morning. And that morning may be the second win. It's called glory. Some of you may just need to trust that Jesus is holding on tight to you in the boat. So my encouragement for you today is live in what I'm calling a beautiful tension, a beautiful tension. I'm gonna ask the band to go ahead and come up. I call it attention because it seems like they would mean two different things. The, th the tension is we will become like him, so strive to be like him. We will become like him, 
So strive to be like him. Sometimes we say we will become like him and we disengage. Okay, cool. He's gonna. But John wrestles with attention. Verse 28, now little children abide in him. So when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from his in the shame when he's coming. And look at verse one. See what kind of love the Father has given us. We should be called children of God. And verse two, beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes purifies himself as he is pure. There's this tension, man's responsibility, God's ultimate sovereignty, man's obligation to live like Christ has knowing he's gonna finish the job. And I wanna call you to live in that beautiful tension today. I wanna call you to restore your, your confidence in how relevant and the impact and the difference it actually makes if we can have a, an eternal perspective and see how the second coming of Jesus actually impacts us today, right now. So how do we, how do we live in this, friends? It's, it's reading scripture, knowing that the win now is deeper knowledge of Jesus, sanctification. And knowing that the win later is full knowledge of Jesus, glorification. Can you imagine, like, when we're glorified, we're, we're gonna know all of the contents of what scripture offered and more. We're gonna know God fully. Is that amazing? Like, all the debates we have, like, it's fun, but like, okay, they're over. We know full truth. It's awesome. We know everything. We, we know, like, whenever tribulation was gonna happen or dispensation, whatever, like, we know all those things. That's, that's all done. We're gonna know him fully. knowing that the win now is deeper fellowship with him, sanctification. And the win later is full, unmitigated, face-to-face fellowship with him. It's, it's battling sin struggles now, knowing that, that the win now is loving sin a little bit less and loving Jesus a little bit more, sanctification. And the win later is living in a perfect, sinless body that cannot even be touched or even sided by temptation anymore because you see your creator and he's gonna be so much better and radiant and glorious that nothing else would compare fully and finally. It's, it's parenting. <laughs> Knowing that the win now is not losing your mind <laughs> and trying your best to present to your kids a gracious love and mercy as they're growing up imperfectly as it may be that will give them though a little bit marred maybe an image of the love of the father that's sanctification knowing that hopefully through prayer and the mercy of God you might be standing in glory with your children someday because of how you did that that's called glorification either way the win would be standing before God and him saying well done good and faithful parent well done it's, it's sharing your faith now, knowing that the fruit may be invisible. Like they may have rejected you. They may have cussed you out. I don't know what's what the worst scenario you've been in. Knowing that the win now is Christ-likeness. Did, did he not face some opposition? Sanctification. And the win later may be the surprise of looking over yonder. That's how you talk in heaven, over yonder. <laughs> and seeing 
the very person you shared Christ with, worshiping God in glory with you, that you never saw the fruit, but now you get to see it. Glorification. It's, it's picking, it's, it's forgiving those who have sinned against you, knowing that it may even seem counterproductive, knowing that that's just what Jesus says to do. Sanctification. But the win later is to hear Jesus say, you have forgiven others as I have forgiven. Therefore, I know that you understand my grace and mercy. Enter into the kingdom of your master. Glorification. It's picking it back up where, where you left off. Maybe you've been in a season of wondering and, and doubt and struggle. And I, I've been there too. And knowing that, that the win now, just to pick the baton back up, is just a small amount of faithfulness. That mustard, anybody else, can anybody else muster up more than a mustard seed? I'm like, cool, I'm good with a mustard seed. I think I can do that, all right? It's doing that and knowing that the win now is just a small amount of faithfulness, sanctification. And that the win later, you finally getting to see that God that you could only present a mustard seed amount worth of faith in face to face and saying wow I didn't have a lot of faith but I had faith in a really big God thank you Jesus it's it's and lastly it's, it's living your life with purpose and urgency and intentionality knowing that the win now is being effective for the kingdom of God even when you can't see it sanctification and the win later is being able to stand before Jesus, unashamed at the life that you lived, so eager and excited to tell him what you've been up to while he's gone. Amen? I'm excited. And my hope and prayer for you is that you are too. My conviction this week, before we have a time of response, that I hope opens up a door. I thought this week, okay, Cole, you're you have a big talk. Where are the areas, if you would be honest, that you may be a little embarrassed or ashamed when Christ comes back? What area of your life would you be ashamed? And I'm just gonna be totally real with you. I think when I see Jesus face to face, I'm gonna be like, why did so many other things get more time than prayer with him, right? Like I'm gonna see him and be like, oh, what was I thinking? It's gonna be a guilt, but it's just gonna be like, man, I could have been, been in on that way before he comes back. That's what I want to be working on. <laughs> I imagine it's going to be, take a while. But you know what? Small little increments of change is the win now. And knowing him fully later, that's the second win. So what I want to do, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not going to have anyone, um, unless you feel led, come up to the front. We will have people up here available with response. I just want to ask you, in a positive way, what areas of your life are you excited to present to Jesus when, when he comes back? It's good to think about the positive. Man, how have I been faithful? What are, what are areas that you're eager? And I would encourage you to continue in those. And I think one area of reflection I would ask you to ponder upon is what area might you be lacking in? What, what area might you, when you see Jesus face to face, realize this may be multiple areas. Mm, man, I, I could have spent my time better. My salvation isn't at stake, but man, I, I, I want to live as if Jesus is really real. <laughs> and, and how might you change now? What things might you start doing better and more faithfully so that when he comes, you have more that you can tell him. He can just sit back and listen to all the things you've been up to while he's been gone. 
give you a few moments to pray and reflect over those questions and the band will lead us. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 